Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Well, it is good to be with you today, and I just want to welcome those of you that are here in this room, those of you that are watching online or in our overflow. It is so good to be with you today, and it was so fun to see those pictures of the middle school camp uh, because my kids, both of our kids are in middle school, and they are away on this weekend retreat, and uh, it has been fun to have a weekend just Jarrett and I, you know, uh, a romantic weekend of preparing our taxes and <laughs> changing light bulbs and doing laundry. Guys, it was hot. <laughs> but it was so fun to send our kids off to camp, and uh, it got me thinking, actually, of uh, when I went away to winter camp as a kid, and I had a particular memory uh, show up in my mind. I remember one year I went to winter camp, and it was so fun. The, the counselors came, and they said, hey, we're going to do something really fun. We are going to do some midnight sledding. And so we all got our snow gear on, and at this camp where we were at, they had this big sledding hill, and uh, the hill went down, and at the bottom of the hill was a frozen lake. Now, they had a bunch of hay bales there so that we would not, like, you know, skid down onto the lake. The hay bales would stop us. And so we're up at the top of the hill, and we're tubing down the hill, and me and a friend jumped on a tube together. And those of you that know the fine art of sledding, you know that the more weight you put on a tube, the faster it goes, right? And so we are going down this hill at, like, very fast speeds. Like, you know the bobsledders in the Olympics? Picture that, you know, when they like around the corner. That is how we are going down this hill. And we are going so fast. And I can tell we are about to get to the end and we are not slowing down. The only thing that is going to slow us down is those hay bales. And so we go barreling into the hay bale. And of course, my legs are out front. And instantly, my right ankle goes, Yep, that's how it felt. And my friend that was with me looked at me. I mean, tears instantly started streaming down my face. It hurt so bad. My ankle instantly swelled up. They had to carry me up the hill. They took me to this little clinic there in the middle of Wisconsin. I walk into the little clinic in the ER. Guy says, oh, yeah, I don't even need to x-ray that. That is so broken. And so they call my parents, you know, I go home. We end up going to an orthopedic surgeon because it was such a bad break. I had to have surgery on that ankle, right? Fun little fact, fun little story about my right ankle. Uh, a number of years later, I was away on a church staff retreat. I was a grown adult at this time. And we decided, oh, we got a fresh thing of snow. Let's build like a, a hill off of the deck of this house and let Let's go sledding. And so, you know, we packed up all the snow. And, you know, I mean, I had a recalling moment, but I was like, I'm going to be victorious. I'm not going to let this past experience, you know, put a damper on my present experience. And, and so I get up to the top of the hill, and we've got, you know, our tubes and that kind of thing. And I go down and run into a tree, and the exact same ankle goes. <laughs> 
So if any of you, if any of you are wanting to invite me to go sledding, I am a hard pass. <laughs> I'm a hard pass. I do not go sledding anymore. Uh, how many of you have actually ever had a broken bone? Yeah, many of us have had a broken bone. It's not fun, is it? It is not fun, the swelling and then the cast, and sometimes there's multiple casts, and you know, there's crutches at times, and, and you don't get to use those muscles or those bones for a period of time. And, and when you have a broken bone, you know this, over time, eventually the bone heals, and most people return to normal with very little impact on their daily life. And we all know that if we, we break a bone, we live in a sophisticated world that actually is good at putting our bodies back together. But when it comes to a broken heart, many of us don't know what to do when our heart is broken. Many of us don't know where to go. We don't know who to turn to. Who is going to actually put this heart back together? There's no cast for hearts, are there? There's no crutches for a broken heart that can actually hold you up. And if your heart has ever been broken, I'm sure you have wondered, just like I have, God, will this ever go back to normal? Will my heart ever be healed again? And I want to talk honestly about heartbreak, about breakups, about conflict. And when it comes to, to heartbreak... It hurts, doesn't it? Okay, I'll ask that again. <laughs> Heartbreak hurts, doesn't it? I mean, if your heart has ever been broken, it's brutal. It feels terrible. And people run from it. They don't run towards it. And when we started this series, we talked about this whole idea of having healthy relationship goals in our lives, that, that if we aim at nothing, that's what we're going to hit. So how do we have these healthy relationship goals? And I don't believe anyone has ever had heartbreak as their goal. No one has ever put that as the center of the bullseye. Very few make conflict and drama the goal of their relationship, right? Right? No one, no, some, some might. Um, that's another message. I'll do that on the side. No one starts a relationship hoping that relationship is going to end. Yet so many of us, so many of you, are here. Or you've been here before. And you know, every time I sit down to write a message and open God's word and open my heart and say, Spirit of God, what, what do you most want me to say? What is it that you most want to communicate? You know, I, I always am so aware of the, the countless stories that are in the room from the really sticky and the, and the difficult divorces that people have walked through to the experiences of betrayal, to really, really hard breakups that people have had to navigate, to marriages that are, are good, but if they were to be really honest with one another, it feels like they are teetering and they've lost a bit of the fire of their relationship. And I just want to say at the beginning today, I, I will never be able to cover everything that's going on in this room. But the Holy Spirit can. 
The Spirit of God is always speaking if you are open to listen. And that was my prayer as I sat down to write this message. Holy Spirit, would you say everything that I don't know how to say? Would you literally minister to people's hearts? Would this somehow be one of those messages where we can't even remember the person that gave it, but the Holy Spirit so clearly spoke and said exactly what you needed to hear? And that's what I'm praying for this room today because I can't cover every single reality in this space, but the Spirit of God can. And if you open up your heart to the Spirit of God, I am confident the Spirit of God wants to speak to you today. And my prayer is that we will get honest, this will be helpful and hopeful when it comes to the heartaches that you are experiencing. And I think when, when it comes to heartache in our lives, I, I think most of us ask one uh, kind of a 1.2 question, part A and part B. Why does this even happen? And what can I do when it does? Like, why, why does this happen, God? Why does my heart ache? And what can I do when it does? Why does the heart actually break open when a relationship fails or, or when we walk through conflict or, or when we experience drama with somebody that we really, really love? You know, your heart, its deepest desire, this is going to be your heart today. You yourself can also get one of these on Amazon.com. This is going to represent your heart. Your heart and my heart have the exact same desire. Do you know what your heart's desire is? Do you know what my heart's desire is? It's two things. Your heart wants to be safe and your heart wants to be seen. Your heart wants to be safe. Your heart wants to know that in a relationship with another person, it is safe. It's safe. And the other deepest desire of every single human being on the planet is, am I seen here? Does this person really see who I am? And your heart at all times is constantly scanning in an unconscious way. Am I safe and am I seen? Am I safe here and am I seen? And what happens when your heart feels safe and seen, what you do with your heart is you open your heart. But when your heart does not feel safe or seen, your heart closes. And that's what happens to every single person. We're looking to be safe and seen. And the heart is actually meant to be open. But when it senses, when it senses that it might not be safe or seen, it begins to close. And when a heart that is meant to be open closes, that's when it starts to ache. That's when it starts to break. Proverbs 4.23 says this about the heart. Above all else, above all else, above all else, everything that you do, here is what you are to do when it comes to your heart. Guard it. Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. So when your heart is not flowing, when your heart feels broken, when your heart feels like it's in a knot because it's not flowing freely because of the heartbreak, the reason for that is because you have probably not guarded it and someone has taken advantage of your heart feeling safe and being seen. Now, 
the top priority of your life when it comes to your heart, when it comes to your job description with your heart, your number one priority, your J-O-B, is to guard this thing. You are the boss of it. You get to decide, actually, who am I going to give this to? You actually have the responsibility. You have the empowerment to decide, is this person safe? Am I seen by them? Am I going to trust them to hold my heart? Now, here's the interesting thing about your desire to be safe and seen. The heart also, while those are its desires, it also has impulses. The heart has impulses. And the two primary impulses of the heart are to share and to shield. Now, what your heart wants is to be safe and to be seen, but your heart often is like, but I want to share myself. I want to share myself. I want to give myself away. That is the impulse of the heart. And when the heart does not feel safe and seen, it shields, it protects, it pulls back. And when you seek out a relationship, you start playing with these natural impulses in the heart, sharing and shielding. And when you are falling in love, you start to share your heart. You take that protective shield off. You lower the drawbridge into your heart and you open yourself up to the thing that the heart most desires. I feel safe here. I feel seen. And when you let someone in, when you give your heart to someone else, you trust them to hold this heart and to take care of it the same way you take care of it. But the problem is, what do you do when they don't take care of your heart? What do you do when, when, when they don't treat your heart the same way that you want to be treated? You see, oftentimes there are all kinds of unspoken rules as to how to take care of someone's heart. And very rarely on a first date do we find someone and say, hi, this is my heart. My heart most longs to be seen and my heart most longs to be safe. And I'm going to periodically move through the impulses of actually sharing my heart with you and then shielding my heart with you. After this date is over, I'm going to send you an email and it's going to have all of the unspoken expectations and agreements that I have for this relationship. I'd like you to read through that email. Then there's going to be a following email with a quiz. I'd like you to take that quiz, get it back to me, and on the second date, I'm going to decide if I'm going to let you hold my heart or not. <laughs> Have any of you done that? None of us do. But that's what's happening beneath the surface. That's what's going on with our hearts. And yet, so often, so often, we don't communicate about these things. And if everything we do flows from the heart and the heart does not feel safe or seen, it begins to break and it feels terrible, doesn't it? And that's the main reason why we have heartbreak. Because you give your heart to someone either that doesn't know how to hold it or you didn't tell them how to hold it, or they just decided, I don't want to hold this heart anymore. And that's when heartbreak comes into our lives. C.S. Lewis says that to love at all is to be vulnerable. 
to give your heart, to share your heart with another person is the most vulnerable thing that we can do. And he says, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. And this is the vulnerability of love. And God has put us in charge God has put us in charge of guarding our hearts. But I think if many of us were honest, we would say the problem with me guarding my heart is that I don't always understand my heart. I don't understand why it does what it does. It doesn't always make sense to me. My heart confuses me. And while I appreciate the writer of Proverbs that says our job is to guard our hearts, I appreciate the prophet Jeremiah that says the heart is deceitful. Above all things, our heart can be deceitful. It can be beyond cure. Who can understand it? Someone in this house should have just said amen. Because you're like, amen. I have not been able to understand my heart. And for more honesty, I've not been able to understand other people's hearts. I love the honesty of Jeremiah in this verse because the heart can be so confusing, can't it? We can't always understand why is my heart doing what it's doing. Jeremiah says that it can literally be deceitful. It can lie to us. It can be duplicitous, even misleading, that your heart at times can be beyond cure. And this couldn't be truer than when we are navigating relationships. I actually, growing up, didn't have a ton of serious boyfriends or relationships. I didn't date all that much. Um, But when I went off to college, uh, I met a guy whose identity I will conceal right now. Um, His name rhymes with TAC, and he has the same first letter that I do. So that's the concealed identity. We are not friends on Facebook. And TAC, TAC, who we will call him, Tack was mysterious. He was really interesting. And he was a few years older than me. He was really smart. Um, He was cute. He rode a motorcycle. And my dad always said to me, watch out for guys that ride motorcycles. So I watched out. (laughs) I watched out. And I can't believe I'm now married to a guy that rides a motorcycle. And Tack wasn't a bad guy, uh, but he also wasn't a great guy. And I can look back now, and I can see all kinds of signals that Tack was sending me. He was sending all kinds of signals about what he was interested in. He was interested in playing around. He was not interested in a relationship. And yet... My heart was in a trance over tack. It was as if I was like not paying attention to any of the signals, and I was just in this trance, like, I will give my heart to tack. (laughs) And it didn't make any sense because he was was sending all of the signals that he, he did not want to be in a relationship with me But the heart's deceptive, isn't it? And the heart longs to be seen. And sometimes the heart forgets to guard itself. 
And this is one of the things about the heart. Sometimes our deepest desire is to share our heart. And what that desire does is it overrides the other part of your heart that needs to protect it and keep it safe. And as we learn how to share our hearts, what ends up happening is we, we walk through a, a consistent stages of relationship. And I've, you know, over the multiple decades of being in a relationship with myself, with myself being in a relationship with Jared, not with myself, I've been in a relationship with Jared for many decades, um, and watching many other people in their relationships, I have observed a consistent cycle that the heart walks through when it comes to relationships. I, I call it the four stages of a relationship, and, and you might connect to this. Stage one uh, is what I like to call, oh, wow. Oh, wow. This might be the one. I, I may have found them. This might be the person that, that I have been searching for my whole life. This is the oh wow stage. And in the oh wow stage, the, the fuel for this stage is chemistry. The fuel in the oh wow stage is chemistry. And this stage is amazing. Attraction and chemistry are high. There are no problems in your life. There are no problems in their life. There are no problems in life because you have forgotten about life. You are in the oh wow stage and chemistry is what fuels this stage. And the oh wow stage usually lasts from about six minutes to six months. So it's, it's a strange kind of range depending on the players in the relationship. But I will tell you what is not in the oh wow stage. What is not in the oh wow stage is commitment. Commitment is not in the oh wow stage. What is fueling that stage is chemistry. And it is wonderful, that stage, until it's not. <laughs> until that stage is not. And one of the quickest ways to add heartache to a relationship in this stage is by adding sex to this stage. And the oh wow stage very rarely has a clear commitment in it. And when sex enters this stage, it confuses the heart. And it almost always leads to an inner conflict that then will show up in outer conflict. You see, the chemistry of this stage, the, the, or the fuel for this stage, is chemistry. And when you enter sex into this stage, you have now inserted two new things that chemistry does not like to play with, and that is unclear assumptions and unclear expectations. Chemistry really doesn't enjoy those things. And I'm sure that many of you, even right now, perhaps may even be thinking to yourself, oh, I th yeah, this, this is what they do at church. Um, they, they talk about these things. Um, they, they tell people you should pray more, you should read your Bible more, uh, you should give more, and don't have sex. That's sort of like the basic premise of a church. If you go to church, you're going to hear, pray more, read your Bible more, 
give some more, and don't have sex. And this, this must be the mess. Oh, yeah, that's what she's doing right now. She's giving that message, the don't have sex message. And that, that part is the part to make everybody feel guilty. That's not that part. Here's what I want to say to you. I actually, thankfully, don't have the power to make you feel guilty. Only you have that power. You are the producer of feelings inside of you. And so if guilt is rising up right now, I just encourage you to take that to the spirit. That's not from this church. It's not from this church. But what I do want to say to you very clearly about sex in this stage is that sex is not just a physical connection, it's a soul connection. And when two souls make a physical connection without commitment, the possibility for heartache is almost always 100%. Sex is a soul-level bond. It is not just a physical hookup. A hookup is the highest level of intimacy with the lowest level of commitment. That's what a hookup is. I'll repeat that. Somebody asked me to. <laughs> a hookup is the highest level of intimacy with the lowest level of commitment. And from the very beginning of this church, we said so clearly, we don't want to be one of those kinds of churches that just tells people, here's what you have to think about this. We said, we don't want to tell people what to think. We want to teach them how to think. I want to teach you how to think like a kingdom-minded person. I want to tell you, to, I want to teach you how to think like a child of God, like a son of God, like a daughter of God. I don't want to tell you what to think. I want to teach you how to think. And I just want to ask you clearly, is a hookup guarding your heart? Is sex without a commitment guarding your heart? Is having an affair with someone you are not in a committed relationship with guarding your heart or theirs? Sex in this stage is not a wise place for you to share your heart. In fact, it's a great place for you to practice shielding your heart. Because you get to actually see if you shield this part of the relationship, if you shield sex in this stage, you get to actually see how the other person is going to hold your heart. You're going to get a clear indicator of who this person is. So when you live in this oh wow stage, fuel uh, that happens here is chemistry, and, and usually a relationship moves on to the next stage. And I like to call this stage... Oh, no. Oh. Oh, no. Gosh. I mean, they were so cute, and now that is so annoying when they do that. In this stage, in this stage, you know, what happens is, is you start realizing, oh, my gosh, I mean, you loved that this person was so carefree. They're so adventurous. Oh, I can't take it. They're so amazing. And you thought their spur of the moment up for anything was incredible. And now you want to send them to a time management correctional facility. <laughs> oh, 
And the oh no stage causes us to look over at the exit ramp. It causes us to look over at the exit ramp and weigh in if we want to stay in this relationship or get out. Do I want to stay in this or do I want to get out? And what happens in this stage, the fuel for this stage is actually commitment. Because this is where you start weighing the oh wows with the oh no's. You start deciding, are my oh wows higher than my oh no's? And it's in this stage that we decide if commitment is going to enter into the relationship. Now, sometimes people stay in the stage for a while, and if the oh wows win out over time, that commitment eventually leads to a covenant relationship. So we've got the, the oh wow phase, which the fuel is chemistry. Then we've got the oh no stage, which the fuel is commitment. And somewhere along the way, it's very likely for a committed relationship to hit stage three. And in stage three, I call this the no way stage. No way is this one that I thought was the one going to be the one. (laughs) They are not going to win this fight. They're not going to be supreme in this moment. And oftentimes when relationships hit this stage, the fuel, the fuel that comes into this relationship is the fuel of challenge. You have to navigate some challenges. You have to navigate how are we going to go through these challenges. And oftentimes in the no way stage, people either decide to park, and this is what the relationship is going to be, or they part ways. And somewhere in the no way stage, you want your partner to behave a certain way. And when they don't, you learn how to subtly punish them in unconscious ways. Many marriages live in this stage and they rehash the same fight over and over and over again. Sometimes the war is pronounced and noticeable. Sometimes it's subtle, and it's just beneath the surface. And in this stage, the four most common ways that couples say no way are through what experts call the four horsemen of a relationship. And the four horsemen are this, the four ways that we say no way. Through criticism, we blame one another, we compare, resentment takes root, nothing is ever good enough, contempt comes in, anger and bitterness, they they begin to live in the soil of the relationship. There's often verbal attacks, defensiveness, it's kind of a A movement of better than, worse than, superiority grows here, and it's always their fault and withdrawal. 
one or both people close up, they stop working on themselves or on the relationship, they kind of shut down, they stonewall the other person. And Jarrett and I have had different seasons of our relationship where we found ourselves in the no way stage, where we were experiencing very real challenges. And we had to decide, are we going to navigate through this? Are we going to push through this challenge? Are we going to let this challenge grow us and change us and produce more fruit in the relationship? Or are we going to let this challenge destroy us? And you know what's amazing is oftentimes the challenges in the no way stage show up in the most subtle of ways. They show up first with like, you said you were going to pay the bills and then you didn't pay the bills. Or you said you were going to do that thing and then you didn't do that thing. Or I, f- I feel like I'm, I'm holding this all by myself and I'm wondering, where are, where are you? Am I just doing this all on my own? And what's powerful about the challenge, about the fuel in the no way stage is that that fuel can actually be used by God to bring about a new healing in the relationship. I had a couple come up to me after the last service that I know real well and with tears streaming down their face. They said, thank you. We were in the no way stage. And our relationship was headed for divorce. We were headed for the end. And somehow, by the grace of God, this church and these people and the Spirit of God came alongside of us. And the challenge that seemed bigger than we thought ever was going to enter into our marriage actually transformed us. It changed us. And in the no way stage, this is the place where I have seen the most miracles of God happen in relationships, friends. I have stood with couples whose weddings I did when they first got married and then the marriage blew up and then I stood when they renewed their vows because they stayed and they kept working and they kept pushing through the challenge. And in the no way stage, most people either decide I'm going to lean in or I'm going to lean out. I'm going to lean in and I'm going to work hard and We're going to do what we talked about last week, your work and my work and our work, and we're going to lean in hard and we're going to see if God can actually restore this relationship. And it's possible. It's possible. But so many people, so many people just kind of park here and they never grow here. And couples that once were deeply in love just kind of pour all of their emotional energy into their kids and their jobs and they leave nothing for one another. Or couples that have all kinds of unspoken expectations of each other. They don't ever say them out loud, but they just kind of grow into criticism and taking cheap verbal shots at one another couples that do nothing to foster intimacy in their relationship in the no way stage, usually one of them ends up having an affair. 
Couples that over time withdraw from each other, just kind of drift into a business relationship instead of an intimate covenant marriage. And the thing about the no-way stage is that it is actually ripe for a wake-up. It is primed and prepped with possibility if both people are willing to do their work. Now, if you can move through the no-way stage, and you can move through those challenges, what ends up happening is you move to stage four, which I like to call the no other stage. There is no other person. There is no other person that is going to be this honest with me. There is no other person that is going to reflect the heart of God back to me. There is no other person that is going to actually hold up a mirror. There is no other person that is going to grieve with me when I am grieving. And there is no other person that I want to celebrate with when I am on the highest mountaintop of life. And you don't necessarily view that person as someone to fully satisfy you or complete you, but instead of seeing this person is the one, you see them as the one to help you be the one that God created you to be. That's what happens in this stage and in this phase. And the fuel in this stage is that you actually begin to see change in your life. At the beginning of this series, I said so clearly, the litmus test of transformation is our relationships. If, rela- if, if transformation is happening in your life, the place where you're going to actually see if it's working is in your relationships. If Jesus is transforming you, if you are becoming more and more like the Holy Spirit, and that's how you're showing up in the world, it is going to be in your relationships. It's not by how many verses you know or how well you pray or how often you come and attend this church. The spiritual fruit of your life will show up in your relationships. And this is where all of us want to be. This is where we want to live in our relationships. This is where our heart longs to be. And this is why we give our hearts away. Because our heart believes that this is possible. And in this stage, you really begin to see it isn't about another person completing me. It's about all of the ways that this person is an agent of growth in my life. Instead of blame and criticism, you start to wonder how you might actually be contributing to the situation. Instead of anger and defensiveness, you start to choose things like appreciation. Instead of entitlement and resentment, you start to want to serve the other person. Instead of withdrawing, you choose to step in and to grow the relationship. And this is what we all want. It's why we open our hearts in relationships. And I know, I know, I know that in a room like this, we all want this. And I know that many of our hearts are not here. I know that many of our hearts actually feel like this. Closed up, contracted, hurting. And what do you do with a hurting heart? What do you do when when your heart feels like this? 
and it so longs to be seen and it so longs to be safe. The, the biggest gift of hope that I can say to you today is that our God has a soft spot for broken hearts. Our God has a soft spot. I, I think God perhaps can't even see clearly when our hearts are broken because he runs to the brokenhearted. He looks past the reason why your heart is broken. He looks past what you may have done to contribute to your heart being broken. He looks past all of the ways and the things that got you to that broken heart, and he just says, my heart is for the brokenhearted. That's what my heart is for. And you know, when we started this message, we said that the, the number one desire of the heart is to be seen and to be safe. And, and what I want to say to you today is that is our good news is because there is no other place in the world where your heart will be most seen and most safe than in the hands of God. God knows how to hold your heart. Someone may not have held it well, but your heavenly father knows how to hold it. Your Savior, Jesus, knows how to mend it. And the Spirit knows how to put it back together so that it can thrive again. And the way that I want to close our time up today is I just want to invite you to stand and I, I want to pray scripture over your heart today. And the way that I want you to stand is I actually want to invite you to place your hands over your heart. And if there is any among us whose hearts are hurting, any among us whose hearts are broken, as the band comes out and as we move into a time of worship, I want to say to you in this moment from the, from the heart of God, through the words of the Holy Spirit, this is what God says, that if your heart is broken, you will find God right there. You'll find God right there. Psalm 34, 18 says that if you're kicked in the gut, he'll help you catch your breath. The Psalm 147 says he heals the brokenhearted, that he literally binds up their wounds. Revelations 21, 4 says that literally he will wipe every single tear from your eye, that there will be no more death. There will need no more mourning. There will be no more crying or pain for the old order of things has actually passed away. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all of your anxiety on him because he cares for you. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, we can actually boast in the midst of a broken heart because Christ's power will actually rest on us. That Jesus says through his word, take delight in the Lord and he will give you, he will give you the desires of your heart. And some of you here today have a chain over your heart. It has been broken for far too long and the Holy Spirit wants to come and to minister and to break that chain and to bring your heart back to life in this place today. And so will you receive the movement of the Spirit? Will you receive the healing?